Tonight is dedicated and redeemed is the title that I gave to this last chapter. It's probably going to be pretty quick. I always say that and it ends up being the full length anyway, but it encourages me to think it's going to be a, a quick night here on this, but we'll see what the Holy Spirit does. He might be giving you a lot more than I, uh, I have right now and some bullet points to remember. Keeping our commitments to God. <laughs> oh, how it is like when you first get saved. And, uh, or even as a non-believer, some would just knew there was some God or someone better be out there to help me because I'm in really deep trouble. And I make vows all the time, you know, when you're a non-believer. But it can happen. You try to make these vows and commitments even as believers. I'll never do that again. I, God, get me out of this situation. Oh, please, I, I screwed up big time. Be very careful of your commitments to God when you are crying out like that. And that's what we're going to see tonight. Uh, some commitments, some vows, some consecrations, things that people are dedicating. And, and God had a situation or a system in place to be able to compensate for these. So, And I kind of pondered on this week. And it's like, why would God say you're going to owe some money to do certain things and you have to pay back certain things a certain way? Because... Sometimes it's we're going to find you don't make a vow and commitment to God because there's a cost associated with that. It's kind of what I came down to with what we're going to see tonight in chapter 27. There was commitment and they knew there was a cost associated before they just opened up their mouth and make these empty commitments and vows because they know there's no consequences. There's not going to be anything to it. No big deal. No, there is. And that's what we'll see tonight here uh, under the... Uh, the guidance here of the Holy Spirit. Because it's interesting, this great and favorite book of yours here, the book of Leviticus, uh, ends with a chapter on vows rather than some special summary and some demonstration of God's glory. But remember, this book is all about holiness. If you weren't with us from the very start, it's all about holiness and God's setting the stage of what it means to holy worship Him, holy praise Him, holy honor Him, lifting Him up. There was a, a foreshadowing of what it is to be as a child of God and one who follows, who believes and understands and wants to, to please God. There is, there is a dedication that we are, our God is holy, we are to be holy. Our Father is holy, He expects His children to be holy. And for us to think other than other that simplicity, uh, we're wrong. And so Leviticus brings that out. And but our promises to God must be in as absolute as His covenant with us. He's made a covenant with you, and so our covenant also our promises need to be the same. Ecclesiastes five two: Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. There's a warning for us. Proverbs 20, verse 25. It is a snare for a man to devote rashly something as holy and afterward to reconsider his vows. <laughs> so Proverbs, a wise proverb here, tells us be very careful as a man or a woman to devote rashly some vow to God and you then retract it or reconsider doing it. 
it's, uh, it's a warning for us. But we will see the principle behind the, this regulations in this chapter is that is abs- it's, it's this substitution or substituting money for something given in dedication to God or to a person, an animal, or a piece of property and uh, giving that money to the priests for the upkeep of the sanctuary. And we're going to see each of those elements. These vows made by the people were strictly voluntarily given. They were not made to be given. They were voluntarily vowed, voluntarily vowed to give these, uh, these two uh, commitments or to vows to in front of God. And they were expressions of the worshiper's gratitude to God for his blessing upon them. That's why they did it. So here, we'll start with Leviticus chapter 27, verse 1 and 2. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, When a man consecrates by a vow certain persons to the Lord, according to your evaluation. So when a man consecrates by a vow certain persons to the Lord, they're they're dedicating these people to the work of God. They're dedicating to the, the service of God. They're dedicating whatever the Lord needs through their life, we're dedicating to them. And they started with this dedication and redemption of persons that we will see here, verses 1 through A here. But when a man consecrates by a vow certain a person to the Lord, exactly what does that mean? To consecrate a person to the Lord. It could be done either of oneself, I dedicate myself to the Lord, or on a behalf of another person, such as consecrating a child to the Lord. This was a completely voluntary act meant to demonstrate that this person was totally given to God. Not to be physically given, but says, I'm dedicating this child to whatever God wants to do and has a calling on his life or her life to do what he wants to do. And I'm devoted to make sure I do what I now won't compete against God from allowing God to do something in the, my child's life or what God's child he's given to you to raise. But you're saying, I'm with you, God. Whatever it is you have, I'm dedicating this child to you, to the work of God. And so, for example, a man from the tribe of Judah in the time of distress or out of gratitude or out of a sense of calling wants to consecrate his son to the Lord. God, you saved us from the famine. You saved us from the enemy. I'm consecrating, I'm de- you know, dedicating my son to the service of you. Thank you, Lord, for saving my family. He can do that. But unless that child was in the uh, priestly family line of the, the Levitic, uh, the, uh, uh, Levi tribe or the uh, Levites there... That child couldn't literally go become a priest because they weren't part of the priestly line. But the dedication was whatever you need him to do in regards to do whatever, Lord, you want him to do outside being a priest, he's dedicated to you to do that. And that's what that person could do. And the beauty of these commandments is that it gave one making the vow a consequence consecration to the Lord, a commitment to the Lord, and it certainly had a cost associated with that. And we'll see that here, verses 3 through 8. It says, in your evaluation, 
because there's an evaluation. So if someone brought a, a, a person in front to be evaluated of the value to dedicated to sacrifice to God, here's the requirements by God in regards to how much money would be given in regards to that. It says, and your evaluation is of a male from 20 years old to 60 years old, then your valuation shall be 50 shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Verse 4, if, a, if it is a female, then your valuation shall be 30 shekels. And if from 5 years old up to 20 years old, then your evaluation for a male shall be 20 shekels and for a female 10 shekels. Verse 6, and if a month old up to five years old, then your valuation for a male shall be five shekels of silver, and for a female, your valuation shall be three shekels of silver. And if, for, if from 60 years old and above, it is a male, then a, your valuation shall be 15 shekels, and for a female, 10 shekels. But if he is too poor to pay your evaluation, then he shall present himself before the priest, and the priest shall set a value for him according to the ability of him who vowed the priest shall value him. So here we see these different categories that we find that persons were assigned a value according to their age and gender, a general usefulness of, of, of society in regards to age and gender, especially when it came to agricultural society. Because in the agricultural society, those who were stronger and be able to withstand the long, long hard work days to do the manual labor in those days, they were of more valuable and that age to 20 to 60 was the prime time. And so you saw there were more shekels that were required than for someone who was a five-year-old or one-month-old or someone who was over 60 because they were more valuable than that category. If they could not afford to give that kind of money and dedication, then there was a point where that poor person could come to the priest and they would evaluate based on where your standing was at that point. And he says, if he is too poor to pay your evaluation... And that shows the importance of the fact that it doesn't leave anyone out that who can come and dedicate a person to the service of the Lord. No one could be left out. It was all where everyone could give their life to the Lord. They could give their life to the Lord regardless how much money or the status or whatever it is they are within society. God said everyone is significant. Everyone is useful. Everyone can be dedicated if they give their life to me. Um, God wants to use each and every one. So he never let anyone be left out even from one month old. Now, of course, what can a one month old do? But eventually that, that, that child would grow up to be... Of a, of a place where they're able to physically do and, and what God's called them to do. So sometimes there's a dedication. We have dedications here. Someone has a child that we want to dedicate to, in front of witnesses. It says we want to dedicate this child to God to, 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 to raise them according to the ways of the Lord. And there's a, it's really for the parents but because the, the parents are the ones who are needing to make that decision, that, that, that dedication, and that I'm going to raise this child according to God's ways. 
And we do pray for our children to dedicate them. God, do whatever you have the plan. You, you have a plan from the, the, before you even created in the mother's womb. You have a plan and purpose for that child. We just want to watch and discover and, and not be a hindrance to it. Not stopping this child to do every, the, to the fullness of what God wants to do in their life. And so many parents, sadly, do restrict their children from being everything that God wants to do because they don't raise them up in the, in, the, in the ways of the Lord. They raise them up in the ways of the world and they wonder why their child is, is floundering and, and homeless when they're 50 and 60 years old because it probably started at a very young age because they weren't raised up in, in understanding. So we won't go down that path too far, but I'm just telling you as parents, it's very valuable what you do with your children. Very, very valuable because God's child that he's given you expects him to be raised up according to his ways for sure. Uh, verse 9 through 13, if it is an animal, so now we see where an animal is dedicated and redeemed, uh, that men may bring as an offering to the Lord all that anyone gives to the Lord shall be holy. He shall not substitute it or exchange it, good for bad or bad for good. And if he at all exchanges animal for animal, then both of it and the one exchange, for it shall be holy. Now keep in mind, you're bringing this animal, you're dedicating this animal. This animal is going to be, has to be good, it's going to be sacrificed. There's no turning around, but if you're going to be switching out here, look what he says here. This exchange has to, is, is, shall be holy. In verse 11, for it is an un, if, if it is an unclean animal, which they do not offer as a sacrifice to the Lord, then he shall present the animal before the priest. And the priest shall set a value for it, whether it is good or bad, as you, the priest, value it, so it shall be. But if he wants at all to redeem it, redeem that animal, then he must add one-fifth or 20% to your valuation. So if an animal was clean and you brought it to, and it's fit for sacrifice, met all the requirements for sacrifice, you wanted to redeem it from the vow of consecration to the Lord, perhaps because I, I had a little bit of a funny moment. It's like, okay, what would be a situation? Um, honey, I'm taking the sacrifice down for us. We're going to get a sacrifice for, you know, for, to, 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 for the gratefulness to the God. And as they get down there, I can picture, I don't know why I picture this, but I can hear little, little Mary or little, little Billy saying, Mom! Dad took the wrong lamb. It's the wrong one. It's, they should have, that's our pet. That's our favorite. It should have been. A, and I can see mom and them running down to the tell dad, get that, that, that sheep back because that's our favorite one. You were supposed to take the other one. And it was a funny. Okay, maybe you may not find it a funny. But I can see that situation playing out. You go, mom, dad took the wrong one. And they're rushing down. And perhaps because the animal was specially useful back home, it was their favorite lamb, you know. You could exchange it for another animal as long as the animal you're bringing to substitute was as clean and equally suitable for sacrifice. They would make that exchange before they sacrificed the lamb or the animal. Every animal dedicated to the Lord was considered holy which meant it was set apart, sanctified, and belonged to the Lord. Now, if it was unclean, we saw 
that yes, you can bring it. They will evaluate it, see what it is. It wasn't, un- it wasn't fit for sacrifice, but you still wanted to give. Uh, it could be an example. It would be a donkey, for example. You wanted to dedicate this donkey to the service of God, whatever they wanted to use. And the priest would evaluate that and they would use it for their purposes. But if they desire to keep the animal, we want to dedicate this donkey to you, the service of God. But we continue to use it for the purposes in our community, in our family. Then they would put an evaluation and add 20% to that. They would pay to the priest for the use of the sanctuary, for the, the sanctuary, for the temple. And they would be able to do that because they are dedicating it. It's, it's, to, it's to the Lord and whatever the Lord wanted to use. And they would pay in money to show that dedication, even though they're going to continue to use that donkey, that unclean animal. In verse 14 through 25, we talk about property. Property could also be dedicated and redeemed, like houses and land, and we'll see that played out here. And when a man dedicates his house to be holy to the Lord, then the priest shall set a value for it, whether it is good or bad, as the priest values it. So it shall stand. If he who dedicated wants to redeem his house, to be able to bring, get it back into, for use then he must add one-fifth or 20% of the money of of your evaluation to it, and it shall be his. If a man dedicates to the Lord part of the field of his possession, and then your evaluation shall be according to the seed for it, a homer of barley seed shall be valued at 50 shekels of silver. If he dedicates his field from the year of Jubilee, according to your valuation, it shall stand. But if he dedicates his field after the Jubilee, then the priest shall reckon to him the money due according to the years that remain till the year of Jubilee. And it shall be dedicated from your evaluation. And if he who dedicates the field ever wishes to redeem it, Then he must add one-fifth, that 20% of the money, of your evaluation to it, and it shall belong to him. But if he does not want to redeem the field, or if he has sold the field to another man, it shall not be redeemed anymore. But if the field, when it is released in the Jubilee, shall be holy to the Lord as a devoted field, and it shall be the possession of the priest... And if the man dedicates to the Lord a field which has, he has bought, which is not the field of his possession, then the priest shall reckon to him the worth of your evaluation up to the year of Jubilee, and he shall give your evaluation of that, on that day as a holy offering to the Lord. So it's be an offering. It actually converts into an offering to the Lord for the use of this uh, within this, the uh, tabernacle treasury. So in the end of the in the year of jubilee, the field shall return to him from whom it was bought to the one who owned the land as possession, and all your evaluations shall be according to the shekel of the sanctuary, uh, twenty jerishish to the shekel. So when you take a look at property, it's a little bit different, not much, except there is a, um, you know, an, an offering that can be made in a situation where the land was bought by one person to another. But when a man dedicates his house to be holy to the Lord, and we still kind of do that today, you get a new house and you just want to dedicate this new house to the Lord. 
that's not just some religious thing to do. That's not like a good thing to do. Maybe you're looking for some special safety around this house. You know, I've been asked to people come in. Can you dedicate this house? Because we know they practice probably really dark stuff in here and witchcraft in this house. We just want all those bad spirits gone. Can you, you know, it's all kind of reasons why I get asked to come and dedicate a house. But here, when we take a look at it, with a house, as in the case with an unclean animal, if a man wanted to consecrate by a vow the house to the Lord, while it's still he's living in it, within him and his family still living in it, using it, the priest would set a value of the house, and one would add that one-fifth or 20%, and give the total number of that money that they would receive to the tabernacle treasury. When you start looking at that, go, wow, look at it. It's interesting how that played out in those times because it was actually used for God's purposes and God's use of the value of their house. <laughs> now we, get, we send it off to the city and uh, the, you know, the, <laughs> to, our, to uh, the federal government. You're like, what is going on with my money? What is it going to be used for? And, and not always good stuff, as we all know. If it was a field for land, its value was based on in the potential production of that land. So if it's a lot of rock and stuff like that, they're like, that much seed could produce here. And, and the valuation would be less, of course, than a nice flat farmland that you can plant seed and be very, very productive from it. And as well as the number of years until the year of Jubilee, because remember when we studied the year of Jubilee, when that year came, all land went back to the original owner, even if they had lost it and they had to sell it and they were poor. God reinstated the land back to the original owner of that. So all the tribes, everyone would have some inheritance in their family line down the years. And so it would be adjusted by the number of years until the next year of Jubilee. Uh, they would do that calculation. If for some reason the owner sold the land after devoting it to the Lord. Lord, this land is for you and all the production, all of this is going to be dedicated to you. We're just going to give to you and to the poor. You make all kinds of things. And then all of a sudden you realize, you know, I'm tired. I'm going to sell this land. Someone wants to use it for something different. Well, you've dedicated to the Lord. Now you're selling it to someone else? What is going to happen? He will obviously be penalized by losing it after the year of Jubilee and when it would be given to the priest and would never be redeemed. So uh, you wouldn't just sit there and say, Lord, I dedicate this to you and then turn around. Okay, you want to make a good deal with me? I got to deal with you. Let's just sell this land. And it's like, no, no, that's a bad deal because you've already dedicated to the Lord. You're going to lose that land. And, and it's the same thing for us. When we make promises to the Lord, we had better keep them and not divert it off and say, oh, I know I dedicated this, but, but you'll understand, God. You'll understand. You, you got it. You, know, you and I are tight. We're, I'm just going to rededicate that for my own purposes over here because I can make some more money. Ooh, be very careful. Be very, very careful what you vow, right? In verse 26 and 27 of Leviticus, it deals with the unredeemed things. But the firstborn of the animals, which should be the Lord's firstborn, right? The firstborn is dedicated to the Lord. No man shall dedicate. Whether it is an ox or sheep, it is the Lord's. 
And if it is an unclean animal, then he shall redeem it according to your valuation and shall add one-fifth to it. Or if it is not redeemed, then it shall be sold according to your valuations. So we see here that since the firstborn already belongs to God. That was already, uh, you know, they understood that. That first son of theirs was already dedicated to the use of the purposes of God. Now, after that, the second son or the third son or the fourth son, or whatever, they could also be dedicated for God's purposes. So they can't redeem or, or you know, dedicate and redeem anything when it comes to the firstborn because they're already dedicated there. Um, we sense the firstborn already belong to God and set apart for the Lord for the first pa- at the first Passover. We see that lying down in Exodus 13.2. That's when that took place there in that Passover time. You could not buy it back from the Lord. It was a, if it was a clean animal, it had to be sacrificed. It wouldn't be able to exchange at that point in time. But it should be sold according to the valuation. And it all, if, like for an unclean animal, could it could, uh, could either be bought or sold and bought back from the Lord. But if it's been the firstborn or if it was the, that first animal on Passover, that was, that was dedicated and needed to be sacrificed. In verse 28 and 29, Nevertheless, no devoted offering that a man may devote to the Lord of all that has both man and beast or the, the field of his possession shall be sold or redeemed. Every, every devoted offering is most holy to the Lord. No person under the ban who may become doomed to destruction among man shall be redeemed, but shall surely be put to death. So here, every devoted offering, making an offering, a devoted offering, the most holy to the Lord. And the word devote is important because devote something to the Lord was a further step than consecration by a vow. It often had the meaning of destroying the item or executing the person that's more than what your vow is. So it would could not be... Uh, used or or taken to use for any other use by anyone else, all of its value was given to God. It was a complete submission. And I'll give you an example. Joshua chapter 6, verse 17, are among the, the passages that translate that word devoted here with the word accursed. So you'll see the same word in the Greek. Because the thing devoted to God would be destroyed, being used for no other purpose, it could not happen. And the example would be, as God had set aside for himself, if you remember in the scripture of Joshua, that those spoils that they got from Jericho. Do you remember that? He says, the spoils that you get from conquering Jericho, those were mine. They were not to be used at all. Any of the spoils were not to be used for any other purpose for anybody else except for God and what took place. (laughs) People tried to take the spoils for themselves and they certainly did not play out well for them. But nevertheless, no devoted offering that a man may devote to the Lord of all that he has. So for this reason... An item devoted to God could not be bought back by giving its value plus 20%. You couldn't say, wait a minute, I'll buy it back plus 20%. Can I have it back? And and he says, no, 
It's, it's devoted completely to the, the tabernacle treasury. It had to be given. It was, it was then completely consumed and used. But God put under the, a ban so that they would wholly belong to him. So there was no negotiating of trying to come back and get it out if you have devoted to the Lord. It's a final, complete transaction no going back. A vow, you can go back and pay a little 20% and keep using it. Those kinds of things, but not, uh, not when it comes to the devotion. Remember King Saul broke this law when he tried to give God that which he had already banned not to do. We find in 1 Samuel 15, the Amalekites and all their wealth, God had banned that and said, no one to touch ye. No touchy of this thing. And King Saul did what? He took the spoils. He took the th things from the, the, the Amalekites and the wealth from the Amalekites for himself because he thinks he, he, just, he deserved it. He needed it. They, he won. But God said, no, that's banned. You're not to touch that whatsoever. I don't care how much wealth it is. I don't care if you won that. I don't care if you get that. That is not yours to touch. I banned it. And uh, they took it anyway. And so in the kind of in this sense, one could not escape execution. As it also, he says, no person under the ban who may become doomed to destruction among men shall be redeemed, but shall surely be put to death. So when God banded someone and someone was going to be executed or capital punishment, we would call, there was no buying back. You couldn't come in and do anything. It had to be followed through if the Lord said that was what's going to happen. They would face the penalty uh, for their crime and, and no one could uh, buy them out. In verses 30 through 33, we see the payment of tithes. And all the tithes of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wants at all to redeem all of his tithes, he shall add one-fifth or 20% on top. And concerning the tithes of the herd of the flock, of the herd or the flock, or whatever passes under the rod, the tenth, the tenth, 10%, one shall be holy to the Lord. He shall not inquire whether it is good or bad, nor whether he exchange it or if he exchanges it at all. Then both of it and the one exchanged for it shall be holy, it shall not be redeemed. So if a man wants to at all redeem any of his tithes, he had needed to add 20% to get it to do it. Tithes could also be bought back, it was not a problem buying them back from the Lord. Instead of tithing good seed from a field, a farmer could pay the value of the seed plus 20%. So we sit there and go, well, just go buy more seed. But at that time, you, you didn't have, seed was very precious. And to give a tithe of seed of the 10% to give to the Lord, the first fruits, the Lord. But you're running out of seed. You need more seed. You could go get the value of that seed and pay it in money plus 20%. So you could have seed to go plant more food because you, that was more valuable to you than hard cash money is say. Because that doesn't produce fruit. <laughs> we, we forget sometimes, like, oh, let's just see. We just throw it around like it's no value. But for a farmer, but for the lifestyle, for the, to be able to live as a family, seed was precious. 
And so it was precious to give to the Lord. But if you found that, that you need more seed to just to live, you could buy that back in, as an example. And it appears that Jews paid three tithes, within, three tithes, a tithe to the Levites, who in turn tithed it to the priests, who a tithe was then was brought to the sanctuary and eaten before the Lord, and a tithe three, every three years for the poor was also taken in consideration. We studied that, um, we will study that in Numbers 18 when we get there. In Deuteronomy chapter 14. But lots of giving to the Lord out of the first fruits, out of the abundance of what God has given. And then finally here, conclusion on verse 34, we see there is the commandments which the Lord commanded. It says, these are the commandments which the Lord commanded Moses for the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. So he closes this letter, closes this book out here, um, making a clear statement that what, what, who is this for? This was for who? Commandments for the children of Israel there at Mount Sinai, where they gave it to them. And they were to live their lives out as children of God. Is, is that they live dedicated to the Lord. He outlined the boundaries, how to keep society in good order as a tribe as they moved through the desert into the promised land. And of course, they weren't obedient. They didn't do what God told them to do. And they have all, we know the historical and through the scriptures, tremendous problems in their, their life because you don't do it God's way. I mean, it's as simple as that. I mean, children's ministry, kids get it. You do what dad says, everything is good. You don't do what God said, dad says, guess what? There's consequences. And as adults, we forget these things. You don't do it God's way and you wonder why you're living and what problems are coming into your life. Because you, you brought it, most of it on yourselves. Because you didn't seek the Lord in that. You didn't listen to the Lord in that. You didn't, weren't obedient to the way the Lord showed you. And then the grace of God comes in, doesn't it? And then the grace of God says, but will you dedicate your life now to me? Will you dedicate your life to me now and redeem your life? Jesus says, I've redeemed your life. Fully commit your life to me. God says, I am holy. You are to be holy. And that's what it applies for us today. Because these, these were not mere traditions and customs that he was talking about here. Even though man began to attach traditions and customs to these commandments and really screwed up what God had put in order that was good, all these men started adding all these other things onto it that was not... not Part of what God originally planned. And as we have seen before in Leviticus, the phrase before the Lord, before the Lord, occurred 60 times. More than any other time in the, in the, in the Bible. Before the Lord, before the Lord. Everything's before the Lord. What happens in Leviticus happens before the Lord. Every point of obedience is called to us, illustrate, it's before the Lord. Why are you obedient? Because it's before the Lord. 
either to a specific command or some precious picture and promise that he's giving, how to walk before the Lord, he gives clear guidance on how to do that. The major lesson of this chapter here, chapter 27, is that God expects us to keep our commitments to God. To be honest, to be transparent, to, be, to, to, to honestly in all of our dealings with him say, Lord, I really, I'm dedicating, I'm, I'm really making this vow because I earnestly want to do what pleases you. It's not some emotional moment, even though there might be emotion attached to it. But your heart is really, and your mind is really, I want to just, I want to dedicate to God these things. My life, my children, are not to be negotiating with God, looking for a better deal for yourself, or escape responsibilities. God, if you just let me out of it, well, that's your responsibility. You, you committed to that. But I want to get out of it. No. You're married. You're committed. What Samuel said to King Saul needs to be heard today. If you remember in 1 Samuel 15, 22, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. It's better to obey than sacrifice. And finally, we need to remember that Jesus Christ paid with his own life the redemption price for you and I as sinners. And we weren't worth it. We weren't worth the sacrifice of Jesus' life on that cross. I, I, I struggled with that many, many, for a very long time when I first got to say, why would he do that for me? Because I certainly would not do that for me. <laughs> I wouldn't have done, I wouldn't have sacrificed for myself. He redeemed us because he loved us. And he redeemed us not with silver, not with gold, but with his own precious blood that we see in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. And any sacrifice we make for him is nothing compared to the sacrifice he made for us. Oh, I've got five minutes. So let me give you a summary of holiness. Remember, the entire book of Leviticus was devoted to the subject of holiness. Here's these items that we talked about from the very beginning of Leviticus. You ready? Our God is a holy God. God wants his people to be holy. Holiness begins at the altar. Holiness involves obedience and discipline. Holiness must be from God and be genuine. And lack of holiness affects our land. Do we not see it played out today? Holiness isn't a private affair. Holiness glorifies the Lord. And lastly, holiness means living to please God alone. 
You want to know what holiness is? As simple as this, living to please God. So, so many times I've heard, I could never live a holy life. Well, you've made a commitment in your mind that you don't want to live a holy life. Because I just told you, to live a holy life is a commitment to, a holiness means living to please God alone. Not please yourself, not give me a man pleaser, not to, God, does this please you? And he's like, how do you I know what the answer is? You need to be in the word. You need to be in prayer. You need to be walking in the spirit. How do you do that? By, by putting and setting your mind on him. He will show you without a question. He'll speak into your conscience. His conscience will convict you. It will prick you. It will tell you, don't touch it. Or yes, go. Take the step of faith. This is good. This is right. But when you wake up every day throughout the Lord, does this please you? No, that language you just had on the roof with the roofers was not lined up with me, with my character. That language has got to go. That attitude has got to go. This is what I want you to put on. Let me do a work in you where there's love and the facets of that love of kindness and gentleness, long-suffering and patience. That is what I want to see. Allow me to allow that to grow in your life. That will please me. May we choose to have a dedicated and redeemed life.